Welcome to the Wraparound NBA podcast. I'm your host, Paul Headley, and I'm here with uh, Warriors, one half of the, the Light Years podcast, pre- premier man of the Warriors Twitter, uh, Mr. Samus Fandiari. What's going on, mister? What's up, Paul? <laughs> Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's 10, 10 p.m. in Vietnam for me. It's uh, 8 a.m. in, uh, in America for Sam, so we're having very different experiences at this point of our day. <laughs> that's, that's how life works, right? Yeah, exactly. Do you want to know? Do you want to know exactly how washed I am? I've actually got a melatonin like beside the computer, so like as soon as this podcast is over, I'm just gonna knock that bad boy back and head to bed. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't uh, you know a couple times a week for me when I just need sleep. Yeah, that's rock. That's rock and roll right there. Rock and roll right there. So uh, it's been, uh, as I said, Sam hosts uh, the, the Light Years podcast, Warriors podcast, and it's been a tumultuous season for the Warriors so far, to say the least. Uh, you're probably taking, I don't know, taking uh, motion sickness pills half the time. Uh, you feel a little bit better, at least after the, you got the win over the Bucks last night? I feel better in so much that I know they will revert back to doing within the next two games. That's so, but for one night, watching Steph Curry um, just be used in pick and roll in isolation and remind everyone just kind of how good he is, it was an enjoyable experience. Steph was Steph was incredible last night. He's been incredible most of the most of the season, and uh, it's just it's been a weird year in, in a lot of regards. In that, I feel like perceptions throughout the fan base and across the league of what the Warriors are, what they should be doing and what they could be doing are just so far apart that that's part of where the, the craziness is coming. Do you agree with that at all? Or am I? Yeah, definitely. So you got to back it up. So Clay tearing his Achilles one hour before the draft is literally <laughs> when it happened. Um, he, you know, and this being a weird season with the draft being two days before free agency, being one week before camps open in this compressed COVID season. I mean, nothing about the uh, sports in the last year has been normal, but it is what it is, right? Um, so I think the in general with the Warriors, your feelings on the season have a lot to do with what you were expecting for them post Clay Thompson injury. So for me... You know, Clay getting injured, you basically can throw out any chance at contending. You can throw it out the window, right? Even with Clay, it was debatable, but there was thought that if Clay was healthy going into free agency, they might have been able to get a couple uh, better veterans than what they did. They might have had they might have had a little more cachet with ring chasing players, or you know, th- those type of players weren't going to the Warriors once they saw Clay was down. It's kind of Steph Draymond to the. You know, curious cast of characters, so to say. Um, and so for me, this year has been about what can you build and figure out going forward because uh, Clay will come back the following year, but we can't expect him to be the same player. Steph Curry is still very much good enough to be the best player on a contender. 
Um, so when you have a player who's that good, I feel like you have an obligation to go for it. And this year, in many ways, has felt wasted because they haven't really developed James Wiseman and they haven't really done enough around the margins of the roster to, you know, they're going to enter next offseason, in my opinion, with all the same questions they entered this offseason, which is there's been no progress. They haven't really developed too many players, and that's what's frustrating because you essentially wasted a year of Steph's prime and you haven't even made any progress towards the ultimate goal. Yeah, and this like eternal battle that's going on, we you know within Warriors Twitter as to how much blame Steve Kerr deserves for the team's struggles and his, maybe his mismanagement of the roster and his kind of insistence on trying to be you know 1999 Arsenal or something, you know, play the beautiful game. Uh, that yeah, you know, I, I threw out a um, uh, there's a, a nice video of them in, against the Hawks where. They're passing it around the perimeter. Steph doesn't touch the ball. They do like this three-man weave action, and it leads to uh, Kent Bazemore essentially just dribbling it off his foot and getting it stripped from him. And I just, you know, I decided to caption it with, you know, I love watching uh, Sunderland try to play tiki-taka, which is literally what, what the Warriors are doing right now. That's exactly it. It's, you know, and I agree. I agree completely. If you've got the... Trying to play that kind of motion offense, read and react, you know, high IQ, it only really works if you actually have those players, you know, to, to, to play that style. Same with the, you know, the 2013 beautiful game Spurs. It was, you know, Manu and Tony and uh, Boris Dia and all these guys were just incredibly skilled players. And I thought coming into the season, even though like I'm, I've made my feelings on Andrew Wiggins clear many times, I thought that he could at least be you know, kind of optimize. And to a certain extent, he has been this year right. and with the Warriors. And, you know, if, if they could just play a little bit more spread pick and roll or pick and roll and, you know, just use those guys, like use their athleticism to just kind of cut and just get easy baskets and, and things like that. And the, and the offense has just continued to sputter. So what do you think? Is there any, is there any kind of resolution to that? Or are you just like kind of, convinced that Curse is going to keep running things the way that they've been going? I mean, if we've learned one thing this year, it's that Steve Kerr is a system coach. And through hell or high water, he's going to play his system. And if he has the right players, might be the best coach in the world, you know? I mean, he he's very creative. Some of the stuff they come up with... Um, you know, it's easy to harp on the negatives now, but you got to have to look at the positives of when he took over the team and kind of how much they surprised the world with the brand of basketball they played, right? We're seeing the downside of it now, though, and that's where I always kind of take issue with, you know, oh, he's just like Pop. Pop, uh, Pop has coached five different styles of Spurs teams over his 20 plus years you know the the early Spurs teams with Tim Duncan David Robinson the Twin Towers in the mid OOs I mean they, they played some of the ugliest but effective basketball <laughs> ever you know and then you know they, you get like the beautiful game Spurs in 2013-14 and now he's kind of got this postmodern, you know space and pace type of Spurs team going on the point is he's shown way more adaptability than I've seen from Steve Kerr. 
to me, this roster was obvious from day one. It should be a team that kind of uses the advantage Steph creates out of pick and roll and use their athleticism off of that. End of the day, you know, Wiggins has played better this year. Uh, Kelly has been up and down. Uh, they're all just kind of average-ish players. They have some strong points. They have some weaknesses that, you know, limit their ability to – you know, ever take a step to be a higher level player, right? Yeah. Uh, but Steph Curry is still an amazing player who creates an advantage just by virtue of being on the court. And too often it feels like the entire year Steve's just been trying to, he thinks if he just keeps running the system, something's going to click for Kelly Oubre or something's going to click for Andrew Wiggins. And I don't know if that's, you know, romanticism or stubbornness, but it's not good. <laughs> Um, like what? Because I I saw and I can't remember exactly who it was that tweeted it, but to what degree do you think that Steve Kerr's philosophy on basketball, in particular offensive basketball, kind of aligns with Steph's? And were is there any kind of is there any way in which it's Steph who perhaps wants to also play this way and that's why it's so difficult for Steve to kind of adjust and maybe go to a more helio- heliocentric, to use the, the Vogue term, system? Well, okay, so Steph does like to play this way. Steph likes to float on and off ball. Uh, I don't think he wants to be James Harden. I also don't think he wants to be Clay Thompson. He wants to be somewhere in the middle uh, and, and that's kind of the step we like. You know, There's just not anyone else in the league who's equally as effective in both roles, and it's what makes him a little bit of a nightmare because he can attack you from so many different directions, right? He's, um, so, so, so I think he likes it. I know Draymond likes it as well because Draymond's best offensive skill, maybe his only offensive skill, is his passing. So making him kind of the central hub of the team is really the only way in which he's going to work. You can see him in a kind of traditional spread pick and roll system, just standing in the corner, bricking threes, how ineffective that would be, right? Um, So I do think those guys like the system because they've had success with it. But with that said, they're also super competitive. I don't think they're married to any specific system. They're married to whatever works to generate wins. And... I don't think they're necessarily opposed to it. I mean, I know Steph had some issues with how much he was off ball during the latter parts of the Kevin Durant years. It's not a secret. He kind of got frustrated that he would go long spells without touching the ball. So, um, you know, it's not like he's just demanding them play a certain way. But I think the fact that they just weren't adjusting as much during the year is what's been really frustrating. Yeah, if you'd have told me before we went into this season that Staff would be putting up comparable numbers to his MVP year, like 31-ish points per game, 64 true shooting percentage, that Draymond would be getting like eight or nine assists a game, and the Warriors would only be putting up like a 109 offensive rating. So they're currently 23rd, 23rd in offense per cleaning the glass. You know, if you'd have told me that that those are the numbers Steph would be putting up, he'd be mostly healthy, that Draymond would be kind of playmaking efficiently, that that's how bad their offense would be, I never would have believed that. It's wild, isn't it? And this is this is another coaching thing. I Right now, Steph, uh, they won the Milwaukee game because they played Steph more minutes last night. Let's, let's not get it twisted. 
they wanted a last second shot. They needed every possession because it's it's not that talented a team, right? Sometimes that's how the cookie crumbles. You need to play your star more. Last night, Steph played 38 minutes. On the season, he's been playing 34 minutes a game. If he was he was brought back in at about 8:30 left in the fourth quarter. Traditionally, not traditionally. This season, Steve has basically waited till the six-minute mark to bring him in. Some games he can chase the win because he can get explosive, but you know, this second unit on this team is terrible. And I firmly believe the only difference between this team and the Portland Trailblazers is Damian Lillard plays two more minutes a game. I pulled out the math on this one. Steph, I think it, Steph's high on the season is 38 minutes and some sort of seconds. Dame has. 12 games in which he's played more minutes than that. The Blazers are 8-4 and four in those 12 games. You go through them, almost all of those games are five points or less. You could draw a direct line to if they decided to play him a little less, those games probably... You know, Port- Portland probably doesn't win those games. And that's what's been frustrating to see. A lot of, like, rigidness with Steph's minutes, not wanting to overexert him, and these things. And, and and I'm just sitting here last night, we saw a perfect example. They play Steph a little more, they win. Uh, but I can point to the Atlanta Hawks game. They were tied at the seven minute mark. Steve didn't put um, Steph Curry in. Boom, boom. Hawks hit two threes. Then they put Steph in. All of a sudden, they're down six with five something to go. And you know, they, they chase the win. Some nights, Steph will just get electric, but he didn't that night. You can, but if you want to go back to it, I feel like you put him back in at a tie game, they probably have a better shot to win. Yeah, it's funny you brought up the Blazers because, again, I was going through just some numbers on cleaning the glass, and the only there's only three teams that have actually outperformed their, their point differential more than the Warriors so far this year, and that's the Blazers, the Hornets, and the Thunder. The Thunder. <laughs> But like the the Blazers and the the Hornets have basically just pulled a bunch of games out of their ass in the clutch. That's bas- that's yeah. basically it, you know. I mean, that, that's your case for Damian Lillard for MVP. Yeah, I think he has a, he has a strong case. I think Jokic is starting to uh, create some separation there. But um, um, Dame's phenomenal. Um, he's uh, <laughs> he deserves all the praise he gets and. You know, with CJ missing two months, that's why I like to compare the Warriors to the Blazers. You can't convince me. Hey, this Warriors team is flawed. Let's 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 keep it real. This team has zero chance of doing anything substantial in the playoffs. Maybe they scare someone in the first round because, uh, you know, on any given night, Steph can do that, right? Um, but I'm not sure this roster is substantially worse than Portland without CJ McCollum, Dallas with Luca, and just kind of. You know, random assortment of guys, some good, but none of them particularly impressive. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs, the the Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant and very little less um, because Jaron Jackson Jr. hasn't played this season. You can't convince me that the Warriors are substantially less talented than those teams. I would argue Steph is the best player among all the players on those teams. Um, you know, Luke and Dave are amazing, but I would still take Steph over both of them today. And... With all that said, it just points to the fact that those teams are kind of extending their stars and chasing wins, and the Warriors, more often than not, it's weird experimentation and throwing games away that don't need to be thrown away. This team could easily be 27 and 23 instead of 23 and 20, sorry, 24 and 27 now. 
you brought up the the chase and wins thing oh no <laughs> we're out of the chase wins really interesting thing from a neutral perspective for me you're obviously a lot more invested in it is ex- like just how crazy different the kind of upper range outcome coming next season and the lower range you know best case scenario the the wolves pick conveys clay comes back and he you know is in that kind of kitty sphere of just surprisingly good after the injury you know maybe wiseman bounces back from an up and down rookie season and maybe can make some moves around the, the margins and suddenly they're back in it you know uh, but on the other hand clay comes back he doesn't look good uh you know maybe struggles to get back to form maybe that pick you know minnesota keeps the pick and you know it could it's just like there's a crazy range of outcomes here feels right right you they could um they could get the perfect blend of assets to kind of figure something out in the summer or it could be like oh no what do we do right <laughs> yeah um it's it's uh you know there's not too much you can do about it if you're the warriors at this point right you have to see where that pick conveys and you're just kind of praying clay is on the higher end of outcomes for these injuries, right? Um, I think for me, best case scenario for Clay is, uh, you know, 80 to 90% of the same player, but in a limited capacity. I think the thing that we really have to come to grips with is he might be more of a 20 to 25 minute per game player instead of a 35 minute per game player. He might, we might have to think of him more in the context of Andre Godala and Manu Ginobili, phenomenal players, but players whose minutes were kept low for health reasons. Um, stylistically, the three of them could not be any more different, but <laughs> you, you get the point I'm getting at. It's... And, when you, you know, and when you consider that with Clay, that you have to then be realistic and be like, this team needs a real number two because he's. I don't think that that's uh, in the cards off of two lower body injuries, right? Yeah, and it's look. This kind of blends into like an, another topic I wanted to get into, and you know something that's really been bugging me is that you know there there is no such thing as a team that's just perpetually good. This you know the San Antonio Spurs are like just the biggest right. outlier in all the sports, close to the one of the biggest outliers in sports history. And you know every team's going to have its lulls, and especially teams that have to commit as much money to you know upper end talent is what the, the Warriors have had to and that's kind of where I, I start to get irritated with the kind of I've called it the fatalism of the way that the people talk about the NBA in terms of just right. like the, the 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 Nets are going to rampage to the the title this year you know just that's it they're done they're they're going to they're amazing they're going to rampage to the title everyone else might as well give up or the other one is the one that's really been bugging me is the Harden trade is already a fail failure for the for, for the Rockets because those picks are worthless. What the fuck is that? <laughs> what? I mean, everyone isn't that just the life in 2021 where everyone's living in, in just living in the moment. No one has perspective for the bigger picture. Like you're right, the Nets do look like the favorite right now, but I watched the 2016-17 Warriors. As they were cruising to the title, in my mind, I was like, they're going to do this 20 times in a row or something. That's not how life works, you know? Uh, Guys start getting tired, injuries start happening, age starts coming through. Um, 
Yeah, to your point on the Harden trade, they look amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if they ran through everyone in the playoffs. Um, that does not mean by next season or the season after things won't change. James Harden could balloon up to 280 pounds for all we know. You know, um, Guys can start disliking each other. We saw that in the last season with the Warriors. You know, Kevin Durant and uh, Draymond Green and some of those things. You know, It wasn't a, exactly a comfortable locker room. So to say, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I always kind of laugh when people are like, "Oh, they're gonna win ten in a row." It's like, re- relax. You know, <laughs> <laughs> have you not watched this league? Literally every six months, there's a new drama and something's changing, and it's and it's it's rarely related to basketball, to be honest. You know, it's it's like always like you know, someone is sick of their teammates and wants a new challenge, and you know, you can stretch this across all sports too, right? Yeah, the the I mean between the Nets, the Lakers, and the Clippers, you know they're 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 pick they're they're out of every pick that they have for the majority of this decade, and the notion that that there's not going to be at least a couple of those picks end up yielding really 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 talented players, because oh particularly for the Harden trade, I mean, yeah, so. Houston, Houston's just banking on six years down the road, really. Let's let's be real about it. And in six years, uh, not a single one of these Nets players will be in their prime. Man, maybe in four years, to be honest, right? Like there's, so I I thought it was, I think it was a smart trade for the team. Uh, maybe not a smart trade for the GM because I don't know that he'll be around. <laughs> To see those, you know, what do you say? You judge me in ten years. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's like he's not wrong, but that's you know, he, he's not. He may not be around to see the fruits of those labor. It's like the it's like the uh, the Sam Hinkie problem. You know, the process. Someone else got to enjoy the fruits of his labor, so to say, right? Because like. Very rarely does management want to stick it out with the same guy, just promising, you know, great returns in in seven years, right? Yeah, I I would go st- I would go a step further about the guys being in their prime. Would you put Would you put any kind of money on all three of those guys even being on the Nats in four years? It w- with the considering the temperament of those guys specifically, and just. The way that superstars have tended to move around in the last 10 years. So 20, 2025. 2025. Are, are any of them on the nets? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I think it will run. You picked a good year. Because if you said in two years, I'd say yes. But four years... It's about when I think it'll have run its course, you know. KD's been there since 2019. Granted, he you know didn't play his first year, of course. Um, by 2025, uh, Kevin Durant will be 36, 37. Harden will be one year younger than that. Kyrie will be 33. Yeah, something's something's going to change there. I would not be surprised if they move in a different direction. My wild card pick is they'll put an expansion team in Seattle and Katie will go there. <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, by that point, is it, who knows Who knows who's going to be playing together or what's going to be. That's, again, yeah, just to, to come a full circle, it's just, it's just been bothering me the way that people just talk with such utmost certainty 
about an uncertain league. That's it's w- funny. Yeah, it's funny because this league is you'll you'll appreciate this. It's it's like European. It's like the big European soccer leagues at this point, right? Like just a lot of turnover, and those players who stay with the same team for eight, ten years are you know few and far between, right? Like every player is always looking to move on to their next challenge, or they have an issue with the coach, or something like that. I think, um, I think that's kind of where where the NBA is, and I don't see it turning around. So I would always bet against something being long term sustainable. Quite yeah. Frankly, like no matter what it is, even with the Warriors, you know, um, in 2017. Did you see this as where the Warriors would be now? Absolutely. I mean, like, I it was it was it was foreseeable that perhaps it would run its course, but that I think that that like this is where the Warriors would be. No, you know, but like, You'd like be watching if, Wiggins run pick and roll while Steph stands in the corner. Now you didn't have that on the the bingo card. Oh uh, <laughs> no, I definitely did not. <laughs> uh, but like, and then one of those teams that I that I mentioned, the Clippers. I don't know. I was just kind of thinking of that, thinking of the the top of the West and the Lakers. I don't think there's anything really interesting to say about the Lakers at this point because they're going to be really good and probably the favorite out of the West if Eddie and LeBron are healthy. And they will probably not be the favorites if they're not healthy. That's it's pretty simple to me, you know. But then you've got right, you've got the Clippers, the Jazz. The Suns and the Nuggets, I kind of you know that have and three of those teams, you know the the Nuggets, the the Suns and the the Jazz have just been surging over the last kind of twenty some odd games, and the Clippers should be in my head. They should be the clear favorite, you know, the clear non-Laker favorite in the Western Conference, and I still. Maybe I'm just mentally scarred from last year, or the fact that you know they're still. Oh, no, see if I have to listen. It's bad enough listening to that Wigger, Wiggins friggin' uh, Warriors culture shit. Never mind having to t- listen to the Rondo leadership crap. Uh, but like, yeah, they're like the Warriors really should have doubled down and brought in playoff Rondo. <laughs> Just have him and Draymond yelling at each other to move off ball. It'd be, it'd be great theater. I mean, I might kill myself, but you know. I would. Great. I would definitely be. I would definitely be calling you late at night to check in on you. Um, but the Clippers. I don't know. What, what What do you think of the Clippers at this point? It's the playmaking thing. I mean, if if you're asking me, who's my money on uh, outside of the Lakers in the West? I'm going Denver. Honestly, I. I will be very surprised if this core of Denver does not get to an NBA Finals at some point in the next three years. I'm a big believer in everything they got going on there. And I kind of view Jokic in the same vein as how I view Steph, where they shouldn't be as good as they are by traditional met- Like Traditionally, we assume the superstar is going to look like Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James. They're going to be a wing-sized guy who can do a little bit of everything and they have no weaknesses. And then, so for someone like Steph Curry to be great, it, uh, you know, it broke our mind that you could win with a small guard as your best player. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and Jokic, I feel the same way where it's like, oh, well, he can't, you know, he's a slow big man. You can't win with that. I'm like, he does so many other special things that a defense has no answer to. And now we've seen it in the playoffs. Like, Anthony Davis couldn't really do too much to him. You know, they went back and forth in that series, but I really only think Anthony Davis bothered him one game. Um, I, I legitimately think this Denver team is the most special team in the West. They're, they're just not there yet. They're just still a little too young. But I would not be surprised if they had a if they had a run like the 2014-15 Warriors, to be honest. They, uh, they've weaponized Gordon, and in particular Jokic has weaponized Gordon. You know, to I was always a big believer in Aaron Gordon. I, I love the skill set, right. the, the kind of high post passing and the athleticism, and if he could just be used more as a cutter. Uh, I've got a stat for you. So I looked it up funny just earlier on tonight. So with the Magic, uh, Aaron Gordon was averaging 0.8 cuts per game, 1.24 points per possession. Uh, with five games, look, fucking small sample size, but whatever. Small small sample size with Denver, he's averaging 3.2 cuts per, per game in five games, 1.63 points per possession. So he's just, like, if you watch him, like, he's just, just, like, giving the ball up, cutting to the basket. And Jokic is just so good at finding guys as they slip to the rim. And... Between that on offense, it's just like giving them a little bit of extra athleticism. And then the defense that he brings. People would say Gary Harris was a good defender, but he's, Gary Harris is, what, 6'3", 6'4", right? You know, yeah. well, Gord- I think who we're forgetting here is Michael Porter Jr. I, I, mix of it. Oh, and, 100%, yeah. And to me, he is the um, – he's still – he to me is really the swing piece for them because I, I think he is so talented and he might not realize it for a couple of years but like if you look at his shooting numbers I mean he's like a 6 foot 10 Clay Thompson I just don't know how else to put it really like the defense isn't the same as Clay Thompson but that could come around but it's just like there are just not a lot of guys that size who can shoot and move like that and um, I would love to know his numbers off cuts because he's shooting like 60% on twos. And I know that's almost primarily like he's cutting weak side and Jokic has the ball, Jokic finds it, he finishes it. But it's just, um, I, I just think that team, it may not happen this year, but when you consider Jokic is 25, 26, Murray's 24, uh, Porter's 22, Aaron Gordon is one of those guys where you always get surprised he's only 26 years old because yeah. you feel like he's been in the league forever like this team should if anything you know maybe they should really kind of be controlling the league in like 2023 or so when all those guys are in their late 20s the it's funny you you, you brought up the the 20 2015 warriors and that kind of comp and i i like that comp uh, and especially like the, the com- comparison between Jokic and Steph as being like an imperfect star. Um, but the one thing is, uh, is Mike Malone the coach that's actually going to bring them to that next level? Because that, that was obviously the, one of the big differences between the kind of third, you know, that put the Warriors over the hump was the addition of Steve Kerr as the coach. Yeah, so, so it's where the comp loses its. Uh its mojo or its value is, um, you know, the war- Mark Jackson was running basically just a traditional pick and roll offense with a 
with a roster of passers. You know, it's hindsight's twenty twenty. But you have Iguodala, you have Bogut, you have Draymond Green. You should obviously be trying to play something that involves more ball movement than a heliocentric style of offense, right? Like, that's just common sense there. So, Mark Jackson was coaching the team incorrectly. He's using the wrong, um, had the wrong ideas. And then Steve Kerr comes in and they just take off. This Denver team already made the Western Conference Finals. And I don't know that they're following a much more traditional path of just getting a little better every year. Like they remind me of teams from the nineties and early O's, like where we'd watch like a team get a little better every year. You're wondering, is this the year they push through, you know, that's kind of what they remind me of a little bit. And, uh, I don't know if Mike Malone is the problem or anything, but I also uh, don't know if he's a solution either. So I, I go back and forth. I think he's a pretty good coach. It seems like he has buy-in from his players. But it is fair to ask, would it, is, is there another coach you could bring in who'd like, boom, take this to the next level? I don't know. I, I, uh, I do. I really like the Nuggets. And uh, Jokic, might, Jokic might be the best. I'm going to say something crazy here. He might, he's easily a top five playoff half-court scorer. And it took a long time for people to really come around to that because he's such a spectacular passer, because he's kind of goofy looking and slow. But his range of shot making, you know, kind of going off the wrong foot and fadeaways right. and scoring in the post, and he can score on, uh, he can score off the catch, he can pull up from three. Like, there's really nothing that he can't do in terms of just like half court. He's not going to go and rack, he's not going to rack on some guy, but like, in terms of his half-court playoff scoring, he's like as good as it gets, and it is one of the most important skills. And he's also like, he's not. This is I'm going to get like this is getting into like ben, Bill Simmons kind of territory. He's not. He's not afraid. You know what I mean? In in big games, whenever he was going up against the the the, the Clippers, the Clippers were supposed to be the established superstar pairing. And they carried themselves like that, but they were like deers in headlights as that series was coming to a close, and Jokic was just busting their ass. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. You are correct. Like, remember before Denver made the playoffs, there was this idea that like, oh, Jokic will get exposed in the playoffs. We've now seen him play in two playoffs. He was spectacular in both. He's one of the five best players in the league. You're not going to stop him from doing what he wants to do. There's not really an answer to stopping him. It's like you're basically hoping you can make him less efficient than he normally is and kind of, you know, force a couple more turnovers here or there and win in the margins that way. But you're not taking him away. You're not taking him out of the game. He's that good. You're right. In the half court, best players in the half court are probably him. Kitty. KD, yeah, those would be my three. Maybe you could throw Kawhi in there potentially. But anyway, yeah, that's a list right there. Guys who can just get their shot and you can't really rush them whenever you want. Like, no matter what you do, you're not going to rush them. Yeah, and like, um, oh, sorry, go on. And I was going to say, and then, um, yeah, and then secondarily, I, I, he, he has such an unassuming confidence to him, too. Like, I, I've never seen Jokic afraid of the moment. If he misses a shot, he misses a shot. I haven't seen him have one of those games where you're like, oh, he's 
he's a little shook, you know. So like all all that adds up to a player who's pretty scary in the playoffs. The circle back to the Clippers, you know, they're they've made strides in terms of like the defense is finally back in the in the top ten. Um, you know, they're one of the best night ratings in the league. They've kind of been on a bit of a roll after hitting a, a, a rough spot. They were dealing with injuries. Beverly's back. But they're still second last in attempts in the restricted area. You know, they are a jump-shooting team that rarely puts pressure on the rim. And one of the guys that they have that, that has been putting pressure on the rim, Terrence Mann's probably going to get less time with you know, the the basketball savant, the glorious leader that is um, Rajan Rondo, uh, you know, on the team now. Yeah, I mean, that's their... It's funny because they are... They do so many things well. Um, they might have the best playoff defense on paper, just in terms of personnel, ability to adapt to different things. They're, they can play big, they can play small, they can switch, they can do everything that you need to do. Um, they obviously have big-time shot makers, particularly the type of shots you need to hit late in playoff games. But they just don't generate easy shots enough. They just, like, it, you know, the myth of the 2015 Warriors where they were a jump-shooting team I mean, they're obviously known for their jump shooting, but they generated so many easy shots at the rim. They just didn't do it via the traditional, like, wing attacking the rim, you know, like a LeBron James, right? The Clippers, I mean, maybe Rondo helps them generate shots at the rim. Uh, I think, you know, that's the, the theory. But, like, they need someone who can generate easy offense for them because right now they look like a team who's built based on like uh, a Kobe Bryant mixtape as opposed to uh, <laughs> anything else where it's just like, you know, they, they just don't have anyone who gets easy buckets. Like, who, who is the who's the player who's going to get them away? Yeah, they're currently shooting 41.5% from three. Can you name, there's only been two other teams in the last 10 years that have shot over 40% as a team on the season. Do you know who they are? Uh, Warriors are one. Yep. Um, Which year? I said 2016. It's right? 2016, 41.6, so they're slight, slight lead. Yeah. And then this, the other one, I'm going to go with the 2014 Spurs. No, they actually did. They were 39.7, if I remember right. I knew that they were right there. Yeah. The <laughs> other one, surprisingly to me, was a Warriors team. Can you guess which one it was? Um, is it recent history? No, no. Oh, I gotta go back, huh? Um, Last ten years. Okay, let's go 2013. Yeah, 2012, 2013. They shot 40.3 percent. Last. Jared Jack. Jared Jack was not missing <laughs> jump shots back then. We know Steph and Clay don't. So. Uh, obviously, I knew that the the volumes kind of gone out of the out of this world right. even even over that time span. But yeah, Clippers are interesting to me, and uh, it'll be. It'll be the. I mean, we won't again. It's one of those like the Bucks in the in the East. It's one of those things where until you see it, until you see them kind of successfully come through, uh, right. a kind of an arduous situation. Why did I go with arduous there? Of all the fucking words I could have chosen, arduous. Unless um, until you kind of see them come back from a huge deficit or like you know just really push through some adversity right. in a way that they did in last year, you're probably not going to believe it. 
Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, it's like I say, they do so many things well. Like, and when they lock in defensively, it's very hard to pick against them, right? But it's it's the same old thing. Like when they get into a tough game, it's Kawhi and create something on your own, and it's usually like a 15 footer. And while that's valuable, I think they. Just they need to fit. You know, I, I was a little. I was hoping they'd pick up a better point guard than Rayshon Rondo. Basically, is what I'm getting at. Like, I would be all in on this team if they had. This is a tough one. I'm trying to think of the George Hill. Oh, no, because he even he wouldn't have. Uh, he's just another shooter. He wouldn't have generated easy yeah. shots for them, right? Like, I mean, and Grant, he would have helped. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player, but like, I just want them to add someone who can get to the rim and. Or can create shots for other people at the rim. Like a like a Lou Williams kind of a guy. He would have he would have helped, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, right. Look, this one I hit the Phoenix Suns, and then I'll let you I'll let you go. Uh, the Suns are I posted earlier on on Twitter. They're on pace for about a sixty, almost a sixty win quality team so far this year. Per cleaning the glass, fifty nine ish wins. They're seventh in offense, fifth in defense, nine and one over their last ten. But Booger, Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton have exactly zero combined playoff games. Uh, where do you come down on the on the Suns? Are you a believer that they could actually seriously challenge for the conference finals or even the finals? I am. I think um, I'm not. I'm not as well. Okay, I'm worried about DeAndre. I guess is the better way to put it. Um, uh, just because a big who's not that experienced can be a little bit of a liability for smarter playoff teams, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not really worried about uh, Michael Bridges or Devin Booker, though. Like Their games will be very comfortable in the playoffs. And I'm obviously not worried about Chris Paul. He's, he's been in the playoffs a couple times. You're already. a long, <laughs> long, long-time supporter of uh, Mr. Chris Paul, Sam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I, if I had to bet on it, I would not bet on them. I would take Denver, the Clippers, and the Lakers as more likely to get to the conference finals than Phoenix. But I would not be shocked if they got there. I have them as the fourth best playoff team in the West. And right now, one of the teams I have above them as a better playoff team currently is missing the two players who make them a better playoff team so you know all it all it takes is the lakers to be a little more banged up than we're assuming come playoff time i mean they're obviously banged up right now but like all it takes is the lakers to not be fully healthy and maybe someone else to be skittish again and phoenix is right there i you know i couldn't help but torture per sons fans i follow a lot of them on twitter and i Sure. But <laughs> I posted that it would be just the it would be the Robert Sarver curse continuing if they were just like to snag the second seed, this huge redemption story, and then the reward was to get to play the Lakers in the first round. That right. that okay. would just be like that would be yeah, absolutely and perfect. Utah, and then Utah has to deal with the Warriors sneaking in and Steph getting hot or something. Yeah, that would be a that'd be a lot of fun there. Um, I don't think the Lakers are going to fall to seven, to be honest with you. I think it really just depends. Although I'm looking at it right now, it's not out of the realm. (laughs) It's 
definitely not out of the realm of possibilities if LeBron's going to miss another 10 games. If LeBron, if LeBron, yeah, if LeBron continues to miss time for the next few weeks, it's definitely not out of the, the realm of possibility. I mean, I, mean, I mean, let's just call it what it is. With no LeBron and AD, they're a terrible team. Yes. Like Dennis, Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell and Andre Drummond is pretty much the Detroit Pistons. You know? like it's, what's, not, it's not good. What's in the Lakers fan base talking themselves into Andre Drummond was just giving me the absolute shits and giggles. <laughs> like You know what? I even I even talked myself into him in the concept of in a smaller role where he's playing for a contract, you may get him to do some productive things. But yeah, watching some of the Laker fans like lie to themselves that they're gonna turn him into Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum <laughs> made me kinda laugh. <laughs> Okay, right. The perfect, the perfect Golden State uh, off season for Samus Fandiari in one minute or less. They trade the Wolves pick and they go all in. I just, I don't want to see Steph sitting on a mediocre team the rest of his career. I don't know that the Warriors will win another title before he retires, but they owe it to him and they owe it to the fan base to go all in. To give Steph a proper number two, uh, it's not going to be KD this time. It's going to be someone not that good. Um, so, so you know, you, you never know what happens. But I want to see them go all in, and whether that's a Bradley Beal or a um, Zach Levine, I say you do it. I really do. I think if you have Steph with Beal, Clay coming back in a more limited role, maybe extended in the big games. Uh, Draymond anchoring the defense, and you find veterans to put about that. That's, I mean, I take that over Phoenix. I think that puts you in the mix. I think that's at least interesting, and it's significantly more interesting than whatever the hell we're watching this year. <laughs> oh yeah, I I think look, that's that's the as as someone who's like followed Steph Curry's career, not as closely as you obviously, but love love watching him play. You're only going to get, as much as the, the, the organization may think they're light years ahead, you only have, he's called the generational player for a reason. You know, you, if you have him and you have him at this time, it's like that's when, when, when the Lakers got, got LeBron and they said, we are going to trade everything that's not kneeled down to put him with Anthony Davis because we've got fucking LeBron James in his prime or at least... The, when he's still good enough to be LeBron James and be one of the best players in the world. Absolutely. And I just want to tie this uh, one back to one other thing you said. The Warriors need to realize trying to be the Spurs, where you uh, win now and build for the future with Kawhi Leonard, is, is, is like a snake oil pitch. Like it, it, you know, it doesn't happen. It's, it's unrealistic. Go all in. Be honest with yourself. Do what the Lakers did. Trade all the kids for the best player you can get and go all in. Because um, all you're doing by playing both sides is you're playing either side. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Sorry, I said I was going to wrap it up and now I'm getting caught up in another <laughs> point. Right, the Lakers have no picks. The Clippers have no picks. The Nats have no picks. The Knicks have kind of gotten their act together, but still, you know, the, the Bulls, they just traded for Fusevich. So I'm just going through all the big market teams you know they're not if you're a uh, kind of weary superstar and you're looking to force yourself to a destination i'm not saying that the warriors have like this kind of bounty of assets at their disposal right now but they've got some right 
there's not really that other big market destination that's going to come in and pip them if a star really wants to to force his way somewhere. Yeah, they, they have a they have they're in an advantageous situation for the next uh, disgruntled player, right? So I mean, they've got Maple Jordan. Yeah, I mean, everyone <laughs> wants him. He's shooting forty percent from three. He's been culture rehabbed. Uh, <laughs> uh, he is short shooting forty percent from three. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, I think I think he might be one of those people who's benefiting from no fans. Oh, uh, big time. It's, it's a possibility, but um, yeah, they they just need to do it. Let's let's give Steph one to two more runs. Let's see what happens. If they can get over the top, he's cemented himself as you know maybe top ten player all time. If they don't, at least you you did what you should have done, which is not waste away the final years of a truly generational special player. Couldn't have put it better myself. All right, guys, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. It's been a while since I've recorded a pod. Thanks to Sam for coming on. Uh, you can follow Sam, your Twitter, at is, just at SamusFandiari, right? That's my name, at SamusFandiari. You can also follow at LightYearsPod. Um, and you can find the LightYears Podcast on all uh, podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Overcast, Stitcher, you name it, it's on there. Uh, much to some people's chagrin. Come, come for the the Steve Kerr criticism. Stay for the even keeled uh, Andy Lou. I think that's the best way to sell it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, all right, guys. Uh, I'll uh, stay tuned. There'll be another episode coming next week. Cheers. <laughs>